This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. But this morning I'm looking in Romans chapter 1 at the last day's collapse of the culture. The book of Romans chapter number 1, verse number 18. Now I want you to leave your Bibles open this morning because I'll kindly go through here and show you a few verses. And I'm looking in verse number 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that little phrase right there struck me. They hold the truth. They possess the truth but yet they're still unrighteous. Now you put it like this, and, and this is not a hard thing to understand. We always used to say it, they know it, but they don't know it. They, they hear it, but they don't believe it. How many of you know fire's hot and electricity burns, but you still don't flip the breaker off every time you change an outlet? All the redneck men said amen right there. It's because... What you know does not always translate into what you believe. And the Bible says in verse 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Watch verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Heavenly Father, there is so much in this passage and I'm, I'm asking you to help me to make it as plain and understandable as possible, that when your people walk out of this room, they will be filled with faith, that the unbeliever might be filled with conviction and might come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and that the naysayer might be silenced before you. And I'll praise you and I'll thank you in Jesus' name Amen. You be seated this morning. I'm not going to treat you like at one church. I had them stand for the reading. And then I got to preaching. And for about five or six minutes, they just stood there while I preached. And I thought, man, this is one of them Pentecostal churches that never sits down. I forgot to tell them to sit down. So I have to put that in my notes. Make sure you tell them to sit down. Well, the book of Romans, beloved, is what we would call the Constitution of Christianity. It tells you everything in it that you've got to know in order to be saved and how to enjoy that salvation. The Apostle Paul is going to go through, and the key word in this book is a five-lettered word that we read. It is the word truth. That word is mentioned eight different times in this book. It is mentioned more times in the book of Romans than any other book except for the writing of John in the Apostle or the Gospel of John and 1 John. And here is basically what Paul is saying. What a culture, a person, a, a human being does with truth is going to determine their life, their living, and their eternity. 
Beloved, it is not enough to know that there is truth. It has to go down into your heart and affect or effect or whatever the proper grammatical term is. It's got to change the way you operate. Beloved, I'm encouraged right now that when Paul wrote this to the Romans, he's writing to the mightiest empire that ever lived outside of the British Empire and then the American nation. And he writes, and this is what he says. He says that the day is going to come when the mighty Roman culture is going to be let go in their mind. God is going to turn them over to their own ways and they would crumble, not from the outside, but from the inside. As God let their minds go. That is a collapse. Now, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with how much money they had. It doesn't have anything to do with what wars and battles they fought. It had everything to do with what did they do with truth. Beloved, right now, I am absolutely, utterly in amazed, absolutely dumbfounded that people that go to church do not have what I would refer to as a biblical worldview. Now, I ain't going to get scholastic on you, but here's basically what that means. It means you don't look at the world through the eyes of the Bible. Man, I was amazed. And I'm going to run a rabbit right quick because I've only got one to run this morning. I was utterly amazed several weeks ago when Roe v. Wade was overturned and the Christians that posted on social media. and I mean, I got puking sick. I had to turn the thing off. The Christians that posted and started saying things like, well, I hope all the Christians that are applauding the overturning of Roe v. Wade will have to adopt all of these unwanted children that are in this. I'm pretty sure it's Christians that have been adopted the entire time, but that's neither here nor there. It, what bothered me was this. These are believers. They hold the truth, but they hold it in unrighteousness. Can I give you three little introductory statements? I promise they won't take long and they, they, they may not matter, but I feel like somebody needs to hear this. Number one, here's the first statement. There is truth. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is a good and there is a bad. There is righteousness and there is unrighteousness. I didn't say there is a truth. I didn't say there is the truth. There is just truth. It, it, it doesn't have facets. It doesn't have faucets. It doesn't have lines and it doesn't have corners and it doesn't have gullies. It is just truth. You know what truth is? Jesus said it in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth for thy word is truth. That book you have in front of you, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, two testaments, old and new, that holy inspired writ that you hold in your hands right there. It's not just a good book. It's not just a holy book. It's not just a sacred book. It's not just God's book. It is the word of the living God inspired from cover to cover. It is the word of God. It contains the word of God through and through, jot and tittle, line, reason, and thought. It is the word of God. There is truth. Number two, there is only one truth. There is not your truth and then their truth. There is not his truth and then her truth. It's not truth for you and then what's true for them. That's not truth. That's called opinion. That's called belief. Belief and opinions really don't matter because you may have an opinion that your dog and cat are wonderful and I may have the opinion that your dog and cat are not of this world but belong to the demons and devils themselves. Here's the point. That is an opinion. 
opinion. It is your opinion and that is their opinion. But when it comes to truth, there can only be one truth. You see, when you say hot is hot, hot cannot there be medium hot, low hot, below hot. It's either hot or it's not hot. There is only one truth. And when the Bible says that there is but one way to heaven, that is the only one truth. That's not what's true for me and not true for you and true for them and not true for them. There is only one truth. Number three, there is only one way to know truth. You don't know truth, beloved, by listening to Harry Krishna, and you don't know truth by listening to a preacher. You don't, go, you don't know truth by hearing what the Baptist is saying, hearing what the Method is saying, hoping that the Episcopalians have figured it out by now, and just praying that the Pentecostals don't run you over while they're talking about it. It has nothing to do with creed. It has nothing to do with denomination. It has nothing to do with person. It is one way to know it, and that is through the inspired Word given by the incarnate Word, Jesus. Jesus Christ. There's only one way to know it. Now, in light of that, here's what you got to understand about what I'm affecting to say. If that book is the only source of truth, then it is going to be right in every facet that it says, including culture. You see, in Romans chapter 1, I never put two and two together until yesterday morning. In Romans chapter number 1, Paul writes to the mighty Roman Empire, and this is what he says. He says, the day is going to come in the mighty Roman Empire that God is going to turn over the mind. That God is going to turn over the culture, and it's going to come through a progression of things. Beloved, you're looking around right now and you are watching the culture around you crumble right before your very eyes. And I began to think, God, it can't just be a culture thing. It's got to be a last day's culture thing. You know why? Because all culture is going to have to crumble in order for every culture to receive and accept the way of the Antichrist. Beloved, you and I both know right now in America there are people and they ain't saved. They're not born again. But I promise you, you try to take their freedom and put them up under the rule of one world power. Honey, you're going to have a war on your hands like you ain't never seen before unless the culture around them so crumbles. There are people right now in, the, in, in Great Britain, they, they just came out of a globalist system when they pulled out of the European Union. You'll never take them back in unless the culture crumbles. You see, in the last day, every culture is going to crumble and they're not going to crumble from without. Listen, I promise you right now, Russia could do everything in its power to try to blow Ukraine off the map and they'll never crumble that society. You know why? Because they're strong within. But the moment that they begin to crumble from within, it will begin to fall apart on the outside. Nobody can conquer America unless America conquers itself. And it will collapse and crumble. Now remember what I said. If that book is true, it will show you how it's going to happen. Let me give you three things. Load them up, blow them out. You do with them what you want to do. Number one, here's what the Bible says from verse number 18 down to verse number 20. It talks to us about the revealing of the truth. You see, God doesn't just tell you, figure it out. You see, He tells you what is right and He tells you what is wrong. Paul says that God is going to reveal the truth of Himself and the right and the wrong and righteousness and unrighteousness. And from verse 18, 19, and 20, He's going to give you three places that He gives and reveals 
reveals that truth. In verse number 19, he says the first place that he reveals truth is in the conscience. You see what God first does, he says in verse number 19, he says in 19, he says, because that which may be known of God is manifest, where? In them. You see, written on the, 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 the slab of every soul, there is what we would call an inner moral law. There is this inner moral guide, and we call it the conscience. Now, we have all walks of life in this room right here. We've got up, we've got down, we've got white, we've got black, we've got rich, we've got poor, we've got, we've got Democrats, we've got Republicans, we've got all of these different segments, but all the things we disagree on, there are certain things we're absolutely in perfect agreement on. If somebody pulled a weapon out right now and gave you the choice to take my life, I pray to God everybody in this room would say, that's not right. Why? Because innate inside of every human heart, there is a conscience. Now, that couldn't just come from the Big Bang. That can't just come from a hoping in a tadpole in a pond somewhere that just one day just popped up and said, well, you get a conscience and you get a conscience. No, if it was by chance and by reason and by chaos, this one would have a conscience and that one would have a conscience. And this is what you'll find. Every human heart has a conscience until it's seared. God says, I reveal that there is a God in heaven in the conscience. Number two, I reveal that there is a God in heaven in verse number nine, or in verse number 20. I reveal it in the creation. He says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. This morning, listen, I, I, I'm not a scientist. I don't pretend to be a scientist. I don't believe. I don't understand science. I didn't like science in school. I'm a common sense type of guy. If, if, you, can, if you can build a thermodynamic nuclear bomb, but you can't get it out of the rain, you're really not doing us any good. If you, if, you, if you can just absolutely make millions upon millions upon billions of dollars, but you don't know when to pull forward at Chick-fil-A when they tell you to get behind that car, you're doing me no good in life. So I'm just a common sense thinker. Am I right about it? You with me? Here we go. When I looked up at the sky this morning, I never one time looked up at that sky and said, man, what a beautiful sky. I sure am glad that all the atoms blew together in the Big Bang and put that blue sky like that. I never one time looked at the grass on the ground and said, man, I love the flickers of the blades of that green grass as they flow in the wind. Thank God that the Big Bang got it right. I never one time looked at the sun as it popped up in the eastern sky and rose up in all of its glory and all of its power and said, thank God that it all came together like it should have. No, somewhere inside of every intelligent human heart that has a common sense mind and a common sense sense of, of reason inside of them that hasn't been poisoned by the liberal mindset of our insane culture, that hasn't been poisoned by some deadbeat professor that wouldn't know their head from a hole in the ground. If that common sense mind, you would look up and say, that's a mighty big sun. Somebody had to put that there. And that's a mighty big sky. Somebody had to paint it like that. Honey, here's what I'm telling you. Every bird that flies through the sky is declaring that there is a God in heaven. Every gerbil that runs across the field is declaring that there is a God in heaven. Every dog that barks and wags its tail is declaring that there is a God in heaven. Even every snake that slithers across the ground in its, in its glory and in its doom or whatever you want to say is declaring there is a God in heaven. Every time a little baby comes forth from the matrix womb of its mother and 
life is made. It's declaring there is a God in heaven. Every time somebody has hope in this life of no life, it's declaring there is a God in heaven. A common sense mind looks at creation and says there is a God. But then the third way God reveals truth is in verse number 21. He reveals it through the Christ. Here's what he says in verse number 21 of this passage. He said, or excuse me, at the end of verse number 20, he says, even his eternal power and Godhead. Here's what God says. He says, the time came for me to make my ultimate show about the one way to know me. He said, I didn't need to send an angel. I didn't have to send a delegation. I didn't have to send a Hosanna choir. When God wanted you and I to know him, he sent one man. And that man was the God man. That man was the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't raise up Noah. He didn't re-raise up Moses. He didn't send Elijah. He didn't ask Elisha to go. He searched all of heaven and he found the most perfect one. He found the most holy one. He found the most righteous one. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of a virgin womb and he came forth and he cried the cries like no baby had ever cried before, he was making a declaration. There is a God in heaven. And at eight days old when they circumcised him in the temple and Simeon picked him up and said, surely this is the salvation of Israel. He was declaring there is a God in heaven. And at 12 years old when he was teaching in the temple after his bar mitzvah and the doctors and the lawyers were amazed at his doctrine. He was declaring there is a God in heaven. And at 30 years old when he walked down that dirty road all the way down to the river Jordan at Bethbara, he got inside the waters and the heavens opened up and the dove of the Holy Ghost came down and landed on his shoulders. God was saying there is a God in heaven. When he walked to that wedding there at Cana and he turned that water into wine, he was declaring there is a God in heaven. When he had that man with that little withered out hand and he said Stretch it forth, baby doll. Stretch it forth. And that man reached forth and in power and in healing, his hand was made straight. He was declaring there is a God in heaven. There's a lame man down at the pool. He says, rise up and walk. As that man straightens that crooked leg out and he walks, every step he takes is declaring there is a God in heaven. When he walked down to the pool of Silo and he spit in the dirt and he wiped spittle and dirt on that blind man's eyes, that blind man opened up his eyes for the first time. He said, what is it that you see? He said, I see men as trees walking around. He said, go down one more time, son, and wash again. As he went down there and washed again, honey, his eyes popped open. He said, surely there is a God in heaven. Peter and James and John go up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration as Moses and Elijah at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Honey, they look and they say, oh God, oh God, it's them, it's them. It's Moses, the lawgiver. It's Elijah the prophet man. But there's one here that's more holy than Moses and more righteous than Elijah. It's the God man and the God of heaven opened up the heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus was declaring there is a God in heaven. But one day in a little garden tomb, a dead Nazarene was rolled on the inside. They took that stone. They rolled it over the tomb. They sealed it with that Roman seal. They put a quaternion of soldiers out there. But on that third and glorious morning. The sun got up. The Roman soldiers left and he resurrected and he declared as he walked out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. There is a God in heaven. And every time we open that book and we preach the Christ, the son of the living God, we're declaring there is a God in heaven. 
But you get to this culture and after truth is given to them, they lead to number two, they revolt against the truth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine God making Himself known and man (laughs) spitting and revolting? That's exactly what culture will do in the last days. Now remember what I said. If the Bible doesn't call it like it happens, it isn't God's Word. He says in verse number 28, or excuse me, verse 24 down to verse 27, he said there's a three-stage revolt that happens. And I got to praying over this, and I got to thinking about this, and I said, God, oh God, it's happened in our culture. Let me give you the first revolution that will happen. Verse number 24 Let me show it to you in verse 24. Let me read it first. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. The first thing that will happen in a culture as it begins to disintegrate, there will be a sexual revolution. There will be a revolt against purity, morality. There will be a revolt against man married to woman. There'll be a revolt. And people will say, you don't have to make that kind of commitment. There'll be a revolt among the teenagers that say, well, you got to try it out. You want to buy a car, you got to test drive it first. Honey, when I got married, I wasn't purchasing a vehicle. I was finding a partner. When did the sexual revolution happen? And remember... It's successive. That means each generation will go to the next step. You know when the sexual revolution happened? 1960, the Beatles crossed the Atlantic Ocean. They landed in in America. And when they landed, they brought with them what they called free love. A generation of the Bible is 30 years. 30 years. The sexual revolution in America lasted from 1960 to 1990. Now some of y'all act like I'm making this up. Anybody could pick that out, right? Well, let me read, if I can, the next revolution in verse 25. Let me read verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. Do you know the second revolution that will begin after that generation goes into a sex revolution? The second revolution will be an environmental revolution. They'll care about sea turtles more than they care about babies. They'll care about the hoot owl more than they'll care about the children. They'll let little single mamas have to wait in line to get food stamps that barely pay for any amount of food for those precious little babies. But honey, you knock an eagle out of the sky, enjoy your three square meals for the next ten years in prison. You you go to help a homeless man. We don't have enough money to help the homeless people. But we can send billions upon billions upon billions of dollars to study squirrel mating habits in Alaska. Don't look at me like that. You know I'm telling it straight. People out here on this street, day in and day out, needle shots in their arms, and we're programmed to say, well, they could clean themselves up if they wanted to. Come on. We'll have a nation. And son, if you hit a moose in the middle of the night, 
in Yellowstone Park. You better pray to God your Toyota will get you to the next town because you will spend five years in a federal pen but murder a little old lady in her house and they'll parole you in three. You know why? Because they began to worship the creature more than the creature. There are men in this church right now that are business owners that pay Money upon money upon money upon dollar because the EPA has told you you're polluting the economy or polluting the environment. Taxes and fees. But let's build, let's build battery-powered cars for everybody. And every 10 years we've got to replace the batteries that will so poison the ocean... Let's shut down an entire state called West Virginia that mines for coal. Because it burns the atmosphere up. But let's give everybody a cell phone whose little battery, if it falls into the ocean, will pollute the ocean. It's insanity. You know what that is? God lets a mind though. When did the environmental revolution begin? It began that next generation, 1990. And it all culminated in 2020. When a man walked into the White House with one promise, we're going to make a green, new deal. But in 2020, but in 2020, when God led them over, it started the next revolution. And the next revolution is found in this same passage in verse number 26 and 27. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for the women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly. That's going to give way to the third revolution, which is a homosexual revolution. God tried to shake us in 2020 when he sent a virus that shut down the world. He was trying to show us there's something getting ready to happen that you're not going to come back from. There's something about to happen you're not going to step away from. There is something that's going to happen that you're not going to be able to pull the shades back on. It's a homosexual revolution. Now in America, homosexuals that, 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 that have bought, bought into that lifestyle, they equate for roughly less than 10% of the, of the entire nation, entire population. But you speak against them, preach against them. It's a hate crime. Now I want to take a time out right quick. There are people in our church right now, people in this congregation right now, and you battle with that thing called homosexuality. You've been saved, but it is from whatever happened. If you were molested as a child, if you made that choice, whatever it was, and you battle. This is not what Paul is talking about. Those of you that wake up every single day and do your very best to push away that lifestyle and push away that sin. Here's what the Bible says about you. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved you. And Jesus will give you the power and the strength to beat that. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about those people who hold the truth and they accept it and hold it and love it. God says when those revolutions happen, the culture has begun to collapse.
But what's the response? What are you and I to do? That leads me to number three. What's the response of the people of God? What are the response of those of us that love truth? Those of us that, that don't want to see the culture go down the pipe. Don't want to see the nation go down the tube. Don't want to see our beloved land fall into the dread sway of, of, of foolishness. And what Those of us that, that beg God to have mercy on our nation and beg God to have mercy on our land. What is our recourse? What is it that God is calling us? to do. I'll give you three things very quickly. I mean, I'm talking so fast, you won't even go have time to write them down. Number one, in verse number 28, the first thing he says those of us that love truth are to do, we are to hold fast to truth and right. The Bible says in verse, in that verse, verse number 28, the verse says that they did not retain God. In their not- that word retain, it means to clamp the fist while people are prying open your fingers. You see, that's what these people have done in Romans chapter number 1. These people that go the way of the world. You see, they had the knowledge of God. Listen, I don't care what anybody says. America knows about the God of the Bible. They know there is a right and a wrong. They know there is truth and there is right. And they had that knowledge in their hand. But yet the demons and the devils came and pried it right out of their hands. They would not retain it. They wouldn't hold on to it. So what do you and I as the lovers of that book and the lovers of the word of the living God and the lovers of righteousness do? I'll tell you what you do. Honey, you clamp on to the things of God and do not let them go. Honey, you hold on to the truth of that book right there and let every demon and every devil come and try to pry that good word out of your life. You do everything in your power when those co-workers say you know that book, it really God's word. Honey, it doesn't matter. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but their words don't do a hill of beans of good. You know what you do? You do right. You love right. You hold truth. You clamp it down. You lock it down. I mean, you don't let the devil pry it out. Don't let the demons pry it out. Don't let some backslidden preacher pry it out. Don't let some liberal professor pry it out. Don't let some boyfriend pry it out. Don't let some girlfriend pry it out. Don't let some deacon pry it out. Don't let some messed up thing pry it out. Honey, you hold as fast as you can to the good word of the holy God of heaven. My wife ain't going to pluck it out. My kids ain't going to pluck it out. A church ain't going to pluck it out. A congress ain't going to pluck it out. A nation ain't going to pluck it out. A devil ain't going to pluck it out. A demon ain't going to pluck it out. Ain't nothing, ain't nobody, ain't no thing, ain't no how going to pluck my faith in this book out. And they'll rage and they'll moan and they'll whine and they'll do everything in their power. But when I open it up, I'm holding it close. And when I turn the page, I'm holding it close. Why? Because I'm going to believe it. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to hold it no matter who tries to rip it out of my soul. Number two, what else do we do? Number two, we don't just hold fast to the truth, but we've got to be filled with God and goodness. Now watch what it says about these people in verse 29. It says, being filled with all unrighteousness. And then Paul's going to list 23 things that describe all unrighteousness. 23 in the Bible is the number of Jezebel. Here's what's going to be unleashed in the last days. The spirit of Jezebel. That's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing the spirit of Jezebel, that perversion spread around. So if they are filled with wrong and unrighteousness, what am I going to have to be filled with? 
I've got to be filled with God and goodness. Now listen to me, honey. I'm telling you right now, listen to me. The devil is going to bring everybody into your life that is filled with the poison of lies, the poison of sin, the poison of wrong. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to say, God, fill me with love. Fill me with truth. Fill me with you. Every morning, I mean before your little feet even hit the bed floor, before you even lay your legs out from under the covers, I mean before you even turn off your electric blanket, before you even go to the bathroom, Room, before you even put on your bathrobe, before you even step off out of that bed, you need to say, God, I ain't going to make it if you don't feel me right now. I ain't going to make it if you don't anoint me right now. I want to be filled with love. I want to be filled with grace. I want to be filled with goodness. I want to be filled with truth. I want to be filled with right. But then watch out because the devil's going to send somebody and something your way to poke a hole in your bucket. So you know what happens when you got a hole in your bucket? You got to keep filling. You got to fill the top of that bucket quicker than the hole in that bucket. And listen to me. I ain't a bucket man. I only own two buckets. I know y'all looking at me. What are you talking about? Well, if you'll ever study buckets, and I don't, you ain't got to study them long, you know what you'll find? The hole in the top you pour into is always bigger than any hole that's put into it. You can put a hundred holes into it, but the top is always bigger. You know what that means? Let the devil poke at you. Let the demons prod at you. Let those unsaved family members poke at you. Let those unsaved demon, demons in your family and at your work poke at you. But the hole at the top is bigger. So you say, God, I got holes in me here. I got holes in me there. But you're a bigger God. You can pour more love in. You can pour more grace in. You can pour more truth in. God, fill me to the brim. And when I get a little low, Fill me up more. But number three, and I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm done. I done sweat through my drawers. I'm done. <laughs> number three, to the people of God, the only way you're going to make it in this culture that's collapsing is to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Verse number 32, this is what it says. Who knowing the judgment of God but have pleasure in them that do these things. You see, this culture knows that the God of heaven is a God of wrath, a God of justice, but you know what they do? They just go on with their lives and keep dishonoring. Listen, can I tell you why I don't want to dishonor God? Because I fear Him. Can I tell you why I don't want to walk out on my family? Because I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of what God would do to me. I, I, I don't want to mess up on this church. You know why? I'm afraid of what God would do to me. Some things in your life are going to have to be put back in place and say, God, give me a healthy fear of the Lord. How many of you grew up and you grew up with a mom and a daddy that would beat the ever-loving devil out of you? Listen, it kept you from doing stuff, didn't it? Mm-hmm. You may tell you why these kids live like jack legs. Some of you mamas and daddies need to put the fear of God back in them. Little, little Junior is not enthusiastic. Little Junior needs his tail tore up. This ain't rocket science, it is. I mean, it ain't, it ain't hard living. But it's going to collapse. This whole thing's going to collapse. It's going to fall apart. 
The culture's going to fall apart. The government's going to fall apart. And even if we have hope, in the, you and I are going to have to hold to this fear. And I thought, Lord, what a discouraging message. And then I got to thinking, this world is not my home. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come. No more clouds in the skies. No more tears to dim the eyes. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon His face the one who saved me by His grace when He takes 